Well, you don't have to agree that much. Good morning, church. How are you? That was a week. Good. The morning crew. This morning, I get just a crazy privilege and honor to preach to you about the incomparable Christ, the preeminence of Christ. Like, it's almost overwhelming that we're going to sit here for an hour and a half, Matt, just relax, just for a little bit, and we're going to teach and learn and speak about the goodness of Jesus Christ and who he is. So just a quick question. If I, if I do teach the students, I ask some questions. So if you know, and this is one of those things, like, if you're not sure, probably don't throw it out, but if you know confidently what the answer is. So who wrote the letter of Colossians? Anybody? Paul, yeah, there's some, we, I think it's Paul, it's Paul. And where was he? And what situation was he in when he wrote this? I think I heard he was in prison. So he was in prison for simply preaching that Jesus Christ is the promised king. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And he preached this or wrote this letter to two groups of people. The first one, students, if you remember, remember? The church of Colossae. It's like Colossians. It is a little bit different. And then the other group is us. It's the church. So there's uh, an intent to get it to the church of Colossians and then intent the Holy Spirit intended to get to us. So we're going to proclaim Jesus Christ this morning as we look. So open your Bible to Colossians 1 and we're going to get to that. So this is like, for me, this is, in my opinion, and I think it's true that Paul is writing probably one of the most significant responses to one of the most significant questions in human history and it's just this, who is Jesus? Like if we could answer that, as a church, if we could go into the world and answer the question, who is Jesus? For the unbeliever, the lives are going to be totally revolutionized and changed. And for those who are believers, what a sweet reminder it is to sit and look at this passage. Who is Jesus? Paul's a smart writer, and he's going to get in chapter 2, he's going to talk about being built up in Christ. Like as a, as a youth pastor, as a guy who deals with kids and youth, I'll tell you this, one of the hottest topics, one of the most hard-hitting topics in our culture today for youth is identity. Like, what is your identity? Where do you place your identity? Where do you get your identity? Where does it come from? And not just for them, but I can confident in saying to you here who are staring at me and you who are online, identity is a massive hot topic right now in this world. Not only when we turn on the news, but also when we look at ourselves, it's, it's who's going to define us. What defines us? What happens in my life? What is going to define who I am? What do I do for a living? What do people think about me? How am I viewed by my peers or friends? Or what type of vehicle do I drive? Or, or how good of a parent am I? Am I married? Or am I divorced? Am I singled? Or am I widowed? Like, what defines us in our lives? Identity plays a pivotal role in everyday life. But for us to get to this idea of being built up in Christ... Like, I could say, let's just be built up in Carl. Be like, oh, who's Carl? He's going to fail me. Like, who is Christ? Like, even me, I, I, my parents are online. Hi, parents. My siblings are online. I, I tend to sometimes look for my identity and people who are around me. Worlds that, like, I'll even put my, build my identity under what my parents think. Loving parents. They love me. They're encouraging. So I can, I can sometimes do that, but either in their death or in their life, they're going to fail me and it's going to break apart. So there's only one sure, endless everlasting foundation that I can truly build the foundation of my identity on, and that's Christ. But to get to the chapter two, we got to ask, who is Christ? Who is Jesus Christ? So open your Bible, First Colossians, and we're going to read, if you just skip over to 13, we're going to read together. Follow along. Uh, actually, if you don't have your Bible, on the back, I printed it off here, that's an ESV version, slightly different than what I'm reading, but that's okay. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, 
in whom we have redemption for the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. And through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him I say whether things on earth or in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaging in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Oh, that's a sweet text. Just take a breath, just a big breath if you want, or breath. That is a sweet text, and I want to land on there. I want to go right back to 13, that we are rescued from the domain of darkness. Rescued from the domain of darkness and then transferred in the kingdom of Christ. That means we were all in the domain of darkness. We were all suffering or struggling through darkness. We're all in our sinful nature, no matter who you are, in our sinful nature. Before Christ, we are lost in darkness. And then we're transferred, we're rescued by God and transferred into the kingdom of Jesus. You notice, like, that verse 13 doesn't include us a lot. We're rescued. It seems like it's all about what God does. It doesn't seem a lot like it's about what, what, what we've done. It doesn't specifically mention really, really good people or, or people who are really good give, givers or people who are kind or extra charitable or generous. It doesn't mention any of that. It just says God rescues us from the domain of darkness. In fact, a rescue doesn't really ever involve the rescued. If it involved a rescue, then we wouldn't need a rescuer. And for some reason, I think when it comes to salvation, I think sometimes this is a little bit hard to grasp. Most, I shouldn't say most of us, but I'm going to say it anyways. Most of us would be like, yeah, but there's something. Like, I got to do something. I got to work harder. I got to be better. I got to read more. I got to pray more. I have to give, I have to do something to work towards a time where God will like, yes, I love you. Like, there's something I got to do. That's what our heart would say. And that's what it would struggle with. So let's put it in a non-salvific terms here for a second. Let's just think of a fireman who's coming up to a, a burning building. He comes up to a burn. I did a, little re- I did a little research. I called a fireman just to double, double down on this. He walks up to a burning building, and instead of knocking and saying, hey, I'm, I'm ready to come in, but first I want your beds made. I want the dishes done. And if you don't mind, the carpet is really terrible. Give it a little vacuum. And then I'm going to come in and give you a rescue. There's no, like, certain qualifiers that a fireman's going to wait for to go in and do a rescue. No, they're going to kick down the door, and here's just a little information. Like, when you go into a burning house, it is complete blackness, pitch blackness, just darkness that you can't even see the hand in front of your face. So they put their hand on their wall, and they start walking. And what do they do? They start calling, is anyone here? Who needs rescue? Who needs to be rescued? And they start calling out for those who are lost in darkness and need to be rescued. right. We are all lost in darkness, and we all need to be rescued. And so many of us have called out and said, yes, I'm lost in darkness. Rescue or come rescue me. There was just a, the other day, my, my youngest child, my sister, my eldest sister was in the room with me, and we were hanging out for the afternoon. My youngest child, Winter, came running into the room, and she was tongue out, eyes peeled back, holding her throat, not a sound, not a gasp, not a nothing. She was just like dying as she ran into me. 
I didn't know what to do, but I knew there was something lodged in her throat, so I pick her up, face down, start pounding on her back, because I had CPR, I learned it all, and after three or four really good hits, a big chunk of salami came flying out of her mouth. And she started crying, and she came up for a huge hug, and my sister was like, oh, I would have known what to do. But there was no qualifier. Like, I didn't say, hey, listen, before we do this, there were some disciplinary issues that we had this morning. Like, I didn't like the way your diaper looked. I didn't like the way you opened the fridge and pulled literally everything out all over. There was no qualifier. It was her dad loving her so much that when she came and ran for rescue, I just rescued her because she knew that she was broken and she knew she wasn't going to fix herself. Bit of a sweet picture of the cross. Listen, the rescue comes because of how good God is and who God is doesn't come because of who you are and how good you are. Look at 14. Let's go right to the next verse. His beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn in all creation. What does that even mean? The image of the invisible God. Here's what it means. Really short. If you want to know God, if you want to know who God is, what God is like, how he interacts with man, the only way to discover who the invisible God is is through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Get to know who Jesus is. You want to know who God is? Get to know who Jesus is. He is the visible image of the invisible God. He is God manifested in the flesh. The only way to know God the Father intimately is to know the forgotten, or sorry, the begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the first born over all creation. Now we get to this line, the firstborn of all creation. If you know that line and you know some other face, you know that some people have tripped off on the firstborn of all creation. What does that mean? As I teach to youth, I've got to answer some of these questions. What does that mean? Can we just skip by it? What, how do we answer that question? What, is, what does that mean? Was Jesus created? Well, the answer is no, but let's get there. Sometimes if there's, a, if there's like a verse you don't really know how to understand or how to interpret it, what we can do is go to all the other verses in Scripture that we know that are clear, that are plain, that we can rely on. One of them here would be first, uh, John 1, which is, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. Like we know Jesus is everlasting to everlasting. He was the beginning. He always was. He always is, and he always will be in harmony with God the Father. So what does firstborn in all creation mean? Firstborn is just this. It, re it refers to his predominant position over all of God's creation. So his superior standing, it's a cultural statement. He is the firstborn, his supreme status. His position of that is of the firstborn over all creation. Some of you might not like that. You might be shaking your head saying that's not enough for me. Well, let's just look right at the next verse. Still author, same intent. Uh, same intent and penned by Paul. Let's read it. Verse 16 says this. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Let's just read that. I don't know if you're on the news at all. Let's just read, listen, listen to this. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities... That covers a lot there. All things have been created through him and for him. That's Jesus Christ. Folks, this is, this is what that means. Jesus wasn't just there at the beginning. Jesus is our creator God. Like Jesus created everything that we have, that we see, that we know. 
So was Jesus created? No, he is that of the firstborn Lord over all creation. Jesus is both, both this incredibly personal and gentle and loving and close creator, but he's also this vast and majestic, beyond our comprehension, king of all creation. That's the Jesus we worship here. What does that even mean? Let's look at it even smaller. That Jesus, the Jesus Christ, creator of all things, that when he was on the cross, he made that cross before the beginning of time. That means that when he was murdered at the hands of people, he, mur- he was murdered at the hands of people that he formed before the foundations of the earth were laid. That he died for the sins of all people that he actually breathed life into. That's a merciful God. That is a good God. That is a God worthy of all my praise. Look at 17. He is before all things and all things and in him all things hold together. So like that cross, in him all things hold together. Adams, down to the very smallest part, in him all things hold together. He could have just dissolved that cross, dissolved the evil people around him, and just done what he does. But God in his goodness held all things together as he sat on that cross. As he laid out his life, as he poured out his blood, he held all things together. 18, he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. I want to make a huge point here. Didn't even talk to the elders about this. Didn't talk to any of their pastors. I'm going to make a big point here, and they're going to stand by it because I think they're good with it. If Christ is not the focal point, if he's not the head, if he's not the subject of conversation, if he's not the focus of our worship, if he's not the focus of our teaching at this church, then I would just say leave and run. Jesus Christ is the head of the church, and he is the head of our church in this church, and this is significant because that means it's not going to be finances, it's not going to be politics, it's not going to be policies or people or power or pride or greed, it's nothing but Christ alone that leads this church. Amen. We have to know that. We have to know we're going to come here, we're going to be edified and built up and loved, and we're going to be covered because we love Christ first, not because of anything else. 19 says, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So now like we have this picture. We have this picture of of this eternal, everlasting, all-powerful, majestic, creator Jesus who the entire fullness of God dwells, who is the head of the church who was before all things, who was in all things, who was through all things, who created all things. And then this unbelievable story happens. Unbelievable story of where where things that don't even make sense to me, it's for us who've just openly rejected God. Some of us here who live are living in sin, who who have just openly said, no, I don't want God, I don't want him as part of my life, I don't want to acknowledge him, I don't want to think. And some of us who have been there, some of us even call Christians, we call ourselves Christians, and we live this life where we're still openly rejecting God. Some of us who don't call ourselves Christians, saying, I don't need this, I don't want this, I'm openly rejecting God, but listen, for those of us who have rejected him through our sin, for those of us who have turned away, fallen away, I want you to hear verse 20 on. Look at your Bible, look at the piece of paper, and just read this with me. Listen, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood on the cross, through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you or Marshall or you, you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaging in evil deeds, 
yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. I was teaching in December on hope. Here's where my hope is. Jesus Christ calls me holy and blameless and beyond reproach. We talked about it before. Nobody else does that. Nobody else calls me that. My own dear wife who loves me would never call me any of those things. But I come up to the judgment seat before God on judgment day and Jesus Christ is right there in front of me. And he's like, holy, blameless, beyond reproach, let him in. Because of the work on the cross, because of my sin and my recognition, my need for repentance and my just calling out on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in darkness. In the darkness, God calls out. Maybe he's calling out right now. I don't know. Maybe he's calling your name and you haven't received it yet and you're like in darkness and you recognize your sin. It's because of Jesus that I stand in front of God the Father as holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. That is a sweetness. I'm going to give you a little story. Don't want to hear a lot of gasping. It's going to be some of my personal testimony story. Um, before we came here, we, I, I worked for the government in London for, for a few years. And before that, we had, my wife and I decided to move up to the Yukon when we had some young kids. And we went and spent a few years in the Yukon. I was working for government services. I was running housing division. My wife was running uh, a clinic out in a small kind of rural area. We left the Yukon, we left with some of the most difficult experiences in our life in our pocket. My wife and I left with some serious PTSD, scars that we still praise God for because it led to some deep humility, some great growth in our marriage and in our parenting and in our relationship with Christ. But there are things there that happen that linger, and uh, one of them I'll just, I want to give you a brief story about. Yeah, um, there was a, a time where uh, a certain authority was coming after me like crazy. Like, and I, when I mean crazy, I mean filming me at night, filming me in front of my house, filming me going to my kid's school to drop them off, going to my kid's school to drop them off, filming me at my office, in my office, endlessly, claiming I had done a lot of stuff that I can tell you now because I'm not in jail, I didn't do. Um, and then one day, he brought me in to the police station and put me in a room and had cameras on and interrogated me for hour after hour after hour. If you've ever been there, you'll know how like devastating. By the way, super church boy, very little crimes done in my life or been, not been caught for a lot of them, I guess. So, <laughs> that's a difference. So <laughs> I'm sitting in this tiny room where this man across from me, a man that I knew, the man that I had barbecues with was coming after me and he was listing off things that he had claimed I had done. And as he listed them, he said things that were really tough, like, your God is so ashamed of you. You call yourself a Christian. If people at church knew who you were really were, who you were, what you were really like. If people actually were exposed to who Marshall is, you wouldn't be worthy of any of it. He would actually say that stuff. And how I know that is because I have the DVD. And I've seen the DVD in private. Nobody else has seen it. And I was devastated when I left. I'm like, man, I don't even know what to do. So a few weeks later, I got this letter, official form, and it was all the charges that, I was, that were being pressed against me, a list of charges. I'll give you an idea of how many charges were. There were fines over $250,000 worth of charges that were being pressed against me. Impossible jail time. And he would say things like, you think you love your kids? I'm going to put you away. You won't see them for a long time. 
I was overwhelmed with grief. It was really, really tough. I didn't know who to call. I didn't know who to go to. We're in the Yukon. We're a bit isolated from everybody we love. I have an incredible church. It would take us like a four-hour round trip just to get to Whitehorse to go to church on Sunday morning. We rarely miss one. We loved our church there. But I didn't have, like, answers. I didn't know what to do. So I had called. The only person I knew to call, I called a lawyer, and he's like, I want 10,000 retainer. Nope. Um, so at the bottom of this list is this prosecutor's name. Didn't know her. Didn't know what to do. So I just called her, and she's like, oh, you can't call me. You can't call me. We can't even talk on the phone. Everything's got to be recorded. You can't. So I said, well, can I just meet you? I don't know what to do. She's like, nope. I'm like, ma'am, I don't know what else to do. I would just, I'm just asking if I can meet you. She said, sure, but it's really weird. But if you want to meet, everything will be recorded, and we can go through what I have because I'm self-representing, I guess, at this point. So we met at a public library, and she had a stenographer, I think. Is that what you call it? Yeah, she had the typewriter lady. And I just said, ma'am, I don't know what to do here. I know my story, and I know what's, what's being laid out here, but I don't know what to do. And she's like, well, first, I have to give you something. There's a cop in the house, and he knows what it's called. It's the book of discovery. Anybody know what a discovery is? You watch a lot of those crime shows. So it was a binder like this thick. Like I'm talking 300-plus pages, double-sided, full print of everything I've ever said online. Not just so, I'm not talking like Facebook. I'm talking like Food Network. Apparently, I used to get in debates on the Food Network. Subthreads. Prints it off. Every Facebook thing I've ever said, everything on any social media, as far back as the internet would go, because yes, I'm before the internet. Students make fun of me for that. But this was like everything you can think of that Marshall has put online was there, printed off. And as I sat on that table and flipped through pages, there were circles and highlighters, and it would say character, question, integrity, question, Christian, question, Christian, question mark, question. And it killed me. And frankly, he wasn't wrong. The guy that was coming after me had, had, had printed off this book, had called into question my integrity, my character, who I was. And there was comments on there that I'm so embarrassed I ever made. There were statements as a person of Christ that I should never have said. There was things I had hurt, people I had attacked, things that I had done that I don't even remember that are just so far back there that were being brought to the surface. And I flipped page after page and my heart just broke. It broke right there. She's like, why are you so upset? I'm like, because this, this is me. I'm not upset because this isn't me. I'm upset because this is me. This is the person I have been. These aren't fake. He hasn't, he hasn't made these up. I don't know, I don't know, you know how to respond to that. My character and my integrity are just in shambles in front of you. That story will end. She was an amazing prosecutor. I went and had a chat with the judge. All gone. I'm here now. But here's what carried. I brought that binder. And I brought it home, and I didn't want my wife to see it, so I went into the basement and put it on a shelf. And when they packed us up from the Yukon to move us home, the Packers just put it in a box and moved it home. And the front sleeve of that binder is multiple discs of every hour that he had just endlessly recorded me, whether in office or at school or in front of my house or, or in the interrogation, and then all these pages of who I was, of who I've become. That box had moved into our basement. We, we landed in Strathroy before here, and it sat in the basement where I hit it once again and then when we packed up to move here we were sitting downstairs and going through garbage bags and Megan looked at it and said what is this like man I don't even want to talk about it like I can't even talk about it it's probably the most I've ever talked about it I said this is like the most hurtful thing this is a reflection of who I am so I just kind of packed it back up I don't know really where it is right now it's probably somewhere in some small box somewhere 
But when I got here, I had a conversation with Pastor Matt, who was a counselor, and we were sitting here, and he's like, I don't know if you see it, I don't know if you hear it, but just so you know, this is exactly what Satan wants you to hear. It's exactly what Satan wants you to see. He wants to keep you bound, like in a binder, bound with all the sins and all the things and all the reflections of your past that you've held on to, all the mistakes you've ever made, all the stupid things you've ever said, all the hurtful, broken, nasty darkness that you've ever said. And he wants you to forget this part where God just calls you blameless and holy and beyond reproach. He wants you to be bound. He wants you to hold on to all the things that you were. And I got to build myself up under Christ. Like right now, there are things being whispered in your ear of who you are and who you were. There are things that somebody else is going to whisper to you and hold over you. There's things that you are holding over someone else. Things that you are holding over people in your life that you won't forgive and you have bitterness and anger and hurt towards. That's a real thing. So I, I have an actual binder of how garbage of a person I've been. But you have one too. And Satan is just wanting you to read it. And here's what Jesus does, just from that verse. He just grabs a binder from me, stands in front of that prosecutor. In Revelation, we know who the person that's gonna constantly poke you in the face with your sins is. That's gonna be Satan. He's the great accuser. And he just rips every page out and burns it in the fire and says, this isn't Marshall. How I know this isn't Marshall? Because 22 says, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death. He does that in order to present you before the Father as holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. If we as a church understood the weight of that coming off us, if we knew that we were blameless, and that we're holy, and that we're beyond reproach, and it's not because of every day what Marshall does, Lord knows I am not any of that. He calls me it because of the goodness of God, because of the goodness of Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Like the creator, just, just try to grasp this. The creator of this vast universe, the supreme, undisputed king of creation. He's so in love with his creation. He's so in love with us that he humbles himself into a human form, not ideal if you're God, into a human form and dies so that you may live. And because of that death, say it again, he calls you holy and blameless and beyond reproach. What are you holding on to? Like when I, when I, when I want to send you at those doors, I want to send you with one purpose, to go and preach the gospel. I want you to go and teach the gospel to anybody. You, 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 don't, don't, don't worry about persuasive words. Like in Corinthians, don't worry about all that. Just go and speak Christ and Christ crucified. Go say, hey, I, I can't answer all your questions, but here's what Jesus did in my life. He, he calls me holy and blameless, not because of what I did. I'll tell you, today I already screwed up. But Jesus, in his goodness, in his perfection, has taken all of it. There is no sin. Think of all your sins. There's no sin that can outdo the work on the cross. Think about that for one second. There's no sin. There's nothing you can do that can outdo the work that's already been done on the cross. Your freedom is just calling out to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Confess with your mouth that you're in darkness and, you're, and you need to repent of your sin. Repentance just means turn the other way. Call on the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. Listen, this is the gospel. Like just knowing who Jesus is is the gospel. If you, if you wrestle with going and preaching the gospel out on the streets, teach Jesus. There's a little bit in Corinthians that says like, Paul watered, 
Paul planted, Apollos watered. It's God that causes the growth. Don't put that on yourself. Just go and preach the gospel. Go and preach the goodness of Christ. How has he changed you? How has he affected you? Why in the world would he call you blameless and holy and beyond reproach? It's not because of what you did. It's because of what he did. Worship team, if you can come up. Let's close in prayer. Jesus, I am so thankful that you paid it all, and all to you I owe. That sin has left a crimson stain, but you washed it white as snow. Jesus, what a sweet reminder just looking at this text. Reminding us of who you are, how grand and vast and majestic and supreme and predominant, how great you are. Yet in your greatness, you chose to come and be humbled be killed on a cross for the sins of the ones you breathe life into. God, there's a sweetness in this. There's an overwhelming, overwhelming joy I get from just teaching it or hearing it or being reminded of myself that that binder is in the fire. The binder of what Satan wants to bind me by or remind me of is gone. It's gone because of who you are and how good you are and how perfect you are. Nothing because of what we've done, God. Thank you for calling into the darkness. God, right now, for those who who don't know you, who don't know who you are, but they hear you calling into the darkness of that fire, I pray that they would respond and call back. Because I know you, God, and I know that you respond well. I know that you respond with love and forgiveness. God, thank you for this morning, for every heart that came through that door. There is burdens, there are secrets in their hearts that we would weep to see if we knew them, but as, as they came through that door, God, you were calling them for this purpose, to hear your word, to hear the truth of your message. Thank you for this morning, Jesus. I pray as we just sing here that we lift our voices to a God, to our living hope. Amen.